0: churches have a responsibility within their communities for collective care, but they also have a political role. In that role, they are resisting tyranny in all forms, using means both tangible and magical. So they are organizing, they are healers, they are midwives and doulas and death midwives and medicine people, herbalists, et cetera. But they also are advocates, they're healer advocates, they are protectors of the commons, and they take that role very seriously.
1: You're listening to Make Some Noise Podcast, episode number 475 with guest Carmen Spaniola. you ready? Let's go. Hey, everybody. Well, that was that was uh, excited and high-pitched, wasn't it? Hey, everybody. That was my radio voice. Um. <laughs> hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the podcast that is a little bit more professional. I am so glad that you're here, per usual. I'm super glad that you're here. I have been head down in search of a tattoo artist has anyone ever been through that (laughs) that journey? I have two tattoos. They're both um, words and one's on my foot. Hurt like a bitch. Hurt so bad. And one on my arm. And the one on my arm, I got in 2016 and just never finished it. It was supposed to be bigger than it was. And I ended up chickening out with the design. And that tattoo artist was fantastic. She's all the way in Charlotte, which is like a two-hour drive for me. So I've been looking for one that's within a you know, 30, 45 minute vicinity of me. Oh my gosh. It is, it is like, you know, I feel like it's like finding a life partner (laughs) looking at their art and, and do I like their style? Oh, anyway, I didn't realize it was going to be such a chore to find this person. If you're thinking about messaging me with your person, thank you. As long as they're within, you know, Greensboro triad area, or I'll go to Charlotte or or Raleigh-Durham. Maybe I'd rather not go that far. But anyway, that's what's been preoccupying my time for the last couple of weeks. And then to find out like the good ones, they're booked for months in advance, which is understandable. It's very understandable. I guess people are catching up on their tattoos since we were all shut down for the pandemic. I don't know. Maybe this is a regular thing that happens, but I get all excited and I'm like narrowing it down. I have about three people and I go to look at their, you know, their little link. And they're like, we're booking for January. And I'm looking at this in the beginning of September. So anyway, that's what I've been doing lately. How have you been? <laughs> I again I'm really excited to introduce you to today's guest. I have been following her work for what feels like an eternity. I'm just so drawn to it. And we're talking about self-care, but really her her episode could go in so many of the themes. And let me tell you a little bit about her. Carmen Spinola is a Le Cordon Bleu trained chef turned trauma recovery practitioner, clinical hypnotherapist, and kitchen witch. She is the author of The Spirited Kitchen, Recipes and Rituals for the Wheel of the Year, She's the host of the Numinous podcast and founder of the Numinous Network, an online learning and support portal for people healing from trauma through a cross-pollination of somatics, attachment theory, and nature-based spirituality. So without further ado, everyone, here is Carmen. Carmen, thank you so much for being here. Oh, it's an honor. Mm -hmm. I am so excited to talk to you. Before we started recording, I was telling you how long I've been following your work. And then I saw that you had written a book and I was like, I'm going to send her an invitation and here we go. It's so exciting. I have told my audience that, I mean, this was years ago that I was interested in witchcraft and was really kind of trying to find my way. And luckily this was before it got really popular and kind of, you know, (laughs) took over social media. Mm -hmm. But I, I will admit that I do think that I was in a better place mentally, and this was long before COVID, when I was doing these rituals and things like that, and I'm I'm ready to get back in it, and I'm excited because now I have your book, and I I love how simple a lot of these rituals are. Like, you don't need to have like 17 different ingredients and like, you know, get a crow's feather from a specific age of a crow. (laughs) You don't have to memorize lines and lines of right. in another language. Yeah, yeah. But I want to. I have a lot of questions, so I, I want to jump in right away. And actually, I'm going to start with reading from the an excerpt from your book. Um, it's the the title of it is a word on which witchcraft. And it's so good. I wish I could read the whole thing, but you know, time and probably copyright. So I'm gonna keep it short. And it's towards the end. And you say, if resisting oppression, reclaiming my body as my own, praying to my ancestor tree, fighting for collective liberation and organizing around a culture of care and dignity for all makes me a witch, my friend, I am that. And then the very last sentence you say. And let's not allow anyone to shame us, our identities, our bodies, or our cultures ever again. And that comes after kind of a short history of not just witchcraft, but kind of the damification, if you will, Mm -hmm. of witchcraft. So can you expand on that a little bit in your own words? For sure. Yeah. Actually, even hearing you read that back to me, I kind of well up
0: with a bit of emotion. I feel that sort of fighting spirit rise up in me. Like, Uh yeah, that's right. And and I, I sort of hear what you're saying or behind what you're saying about how popular it is on Instagram. I actually think that what we currently are calling witchcraft is going to deepen over the next decade to what it is underneath, which I believe we would just call animism. So all witches are animists, Mm -hmm. even though not all animists would call themselves witches. That was one of my questions. Can you explain what, 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 what that is? Sure. Yeah. Well, so animism has two parts for me, putting it really simply. The first part is that we would call it the ensoulment of the world is a core part of our spirituality. So ensoulment meaning that everything has its own soul, humans, animals, rocks, plants, etc. cetera. The second part of it is that we live in a participatory universe. So as much as I'm aware of my dog, she's aware of me as much as i'm aware of the carrot that i've just pulled from the garden it is aware that and mm-hmm. and it may not be consciousness quote unquote but it's an awareness you know we science tells us that plants are reacting to the humans that they live with in homes and things like that and so an animist proceeds as though this is a participatory universe with everything as aware of us as we are of it and seeking us in the same way we are seeking the greater than Um, human. So, that I think is where the current kind of adolescence of this phase of Mm -hmm. uh, collective consciousness around witchcraft is going. I think it's going to mature into that. When I think about what a witch really is, if I were to encapsulate that essay, a word on witchcraft, I would say, you know, witches, of course, have a responsibility within their communities for collective care, but they also have a political role. And in that role, they are resisting tyranny in all forms, using means both tangible and magical. So they are organizing, they are healers, they are midwives and doulas and death midwives and you know uh, medicine people, herbalists, et cetera. But they also are advocates, they're healer advocates, they are protectors of the commons, and they take that role very seriously. So they're not just getting together to do magic for personal gain mm-hmm. or edification, they're doing it for collective well-being. So, I take that particular piece as my awakening into my own identity as a witch. I I read um, Sylvia Federici's Caliban and the Witch and was like, oh, uh, (laughs) I can really embrace not just feminism, but feminist witch and um, take that on as an identity and and proudly so.
1: When was that book published? I know you talk about that in talk about reading her book. published, was it like 2009 or something oh, okay. like that? So not and that I, long ago. I not thought that it was long like ago.
0: It's like not like 25 or years or anything. No, it's, okay. it's a classic though, right? It, I think <laughs> it, it seems like even more of a classic because it, I will say it, it's the book that probably took me- the longest to ever get through. You know, it's not a very thick book, but mm. if you're familiar with Richard tarnus's work, if your listeners know um, Cosmos and Psyche, which is like a really big, thick uh, book on psychological astrology. Uh, it's like one of those classics of the earth where you're like, whoa, yeah, that was like a big book and took a long time to get through. Whereas Caliban and the Witch is like a fraction of the size, but it took me way longer because it's so dense and yeah. every page you're just like, oh, fuck. That's what the witch wound, that's how it's showing up in me. Oh, that's patriarchy again. Oh, that's white supremacy culture. Oh, I I see what a witch really is now and um, who has been persecuted because they are liberatory figures of their time.
1: Okay. That reminds me of women who run with the wolves. I felt like every- paragraph could have been a thesis. Mm-hmm. And I had, I had,
0: that's Absolutely. Like <laughs> and one that you should go back and read again, because you'll understand it better five, 10 years it's later. later. It's actually been at least five or six years since I've read um, Women Who Run With the Wolves. And I remember getting it, God, like Maybe in the early two thousands or something mm. like that. When I, I looking back, I think I was probably a little young for it. Like I, I the themes really appealed to me, but like, did I take it in? Yeah, n- maybe subconsciously, maybe at the surface
1: level, yeah, Exa- yeah. Mm-hmm. or like it's
0: in there, and I was, I was drawn, but I, you know, the, it didn't click for me. Um, By the time I read Caliban and the Witch, and I was around forty or so, it really clicked.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, now I'm going to have to put that one on my list too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. And find a book club or a support group
0: because <laughs> honestly, every, every other page you're group. like, God damn it. You're like so mad about patriarchy. Fuck. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Have, Make sure have you have, have a, a couple's therapist if you're in partnership because okay. you're just like going to okay. notice how patriarchy shows up in like parenting, partnering, mm-hmm. institutions, education. Like you're just like, God damn it.
1: And so we just, I, it's like the air we breathe. We just don't, don't even notice it. Water in it which we
0: swim. It. Totally. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it, it's like maybe, maybe uh, you need therapy and also like the people around you need to be able to like connect and support <laughs> each other while you like go through rage, but it, but it, it's, it's very validating to connect the dots, right? It's like looking up at the night sky and you see all these stars. And then that feeling when you see the big dipper Mm -hmm. And you're like, ah, connection. Like I can locate myself. It's familiar. I understand. I see a pattern in all this vastness. That's what it's like when you read a book like Caliban and the Witch. It's like, ah, big dipper.
1: We'll put that one in the the show notes too. (sighs) Nice. On on that same topic, can you talk a little more about folk magic and how Mm -hmm. it is incorporated and kind of quote unquote woven into everyday life? Yeah, well, folk magic,
0: you can almost, when you think of folk magic, in, um, contrast to that, you can think of high magic. So when we think of high magic, we're talking about ceremonial magic. We're talking about, um, you know, rights, R I T E S where mm-hmm. it's like, this is, you know, here's how we cast a circle. This is, we're going to do, you know, um, whatever there's you know it's it's the golden dawn it's these yeah. secret societies it's mystery schools that kind of stuff where you get initiated into a hierarchy really of you know um initiate to adapt you go through different practices and you demonstrate that you have knowledge and skill. High magic is great, it has its own place, but folk magic is what we regular folks do. Okay. <laughs> like don't have a formal <laughs> coven and you know we're we're just kind of muddling through. Hey, maybe you're lucky and you had a, you know, an auntie or a grandma or an uncle who was like into this kind of stuff. That's great if you have somebody who's passed it down through families, but most of us are kind of looking around, maybe you've come into the world like myself, I, I've always had a highly developed spiritual yearning, but mm-hmm. nobody else around me really <laughs> yeah. matched that. So now that. we have the
1: internet. <laughs> yeah, now we have the internet.
0: When I was you know, growing up in the eight, 70s, 80s, 90s, it was like we had books on lucid dreaming and crystal shops and mm-hmm. things like that. So you mm-hmm. kind Tarot of find cards. your way. Yeah. Tarot cards, exactly. You take some courses, you get some books. So folk magic is the magic of Your tools, you know, like a cauldron. What is a cauldron but a pot on a stove? Mm -hmm. You know, what is a chalice but a very special vessel for liquids that are important to you? You know, what is an athame but just a knife? You know, so all of these tools that we associate with high magic as these like talismanic properties, if we look around, most people in like every culture of the world, they related to the more than human forces through their everyday tools, baskets, ovens, um, those kinds of things. So folk magic is about uh, what the spiritual significance of your sacred grains of your ancestors were, you know, what, what were the foods that sustained them through, Good times and bad, you know what were what were the foods of their celebratory times? Um, why did they have the crafts that they had? You know, when I one of my favorite things is wheat weaving, and um, when you dig into the history of like, why did they have corn mothers? and, And, you know, why did they make all these beautiful things out of wheat? Well, it's because they believed the spirit of the grain as they were harvesting would move through the field, jumping from stock to stock until finally the very last, uh, uh, stalks of wheat would be harvested and they were thought to contain the essence, the spiritual sustenance and all the good fortune for the future harvest in those last stalks. So of course, Mm -hmm. if they're going to save the best seed or they're going to save seed, that's going to be what they plant next year, they would weave it into these beautiful ornaments and they would turn them into sort of grain mothers that they would hang almost like an angel on top of a tree. You would have like Mm -hmm. this grain mother of the Kai. The old woman of winter holding the hopes and the most treasured items of your community, which is seed. Yeah. Of course, they're making these ornamentations and um, beautiful rituals to it. So folk magic is born of need. It comes from a time and a place and a people. um, And it's usually something that is uh, an embellishment or an honoring or an offering to the greater than human forces that are saying like, thank you for blessing us with good health and good fortune. Or if there's been misfortune, it's an offering to say, ooh, we, we we're tracking that you are unhappy greater mm-hmm. forces. Can we, you know, petition to you by making this special bread or this cake or, you know, making an offering on, on this particular lunation or this month.
1: Interesting. What if in 2024, you got a little bit better every day? I mean, that's what this show is all about, right? When you're learning a new language with Babbel, that's exactly what you're doing. And if Babbel can help you start speaking a new language in just three weeks, imagine what you can do in a full year. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Babbel has over 16 million subscribers sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations. Their courses are so convenient and have helped me learn real-life conversation skills in Spanish. It's so easy to learn how to order food. That's where I get the most excited to use it at Mexican restaurants or ask for directions, speak to merchants without having to consult language apps while on vacation, etc. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 50% off a one-time payment for a Lifetime Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash noise. Get 50% off at babbel.com slash noise, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash noise. Rules and restrictions may apply. blog. I want to do the things that matter to me for as long as possible, which is why I drink AG1 every morning to support my brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm laying the groundwork for long-term health. I know with AG1, I'm giving my body high-quality nutrition. Every batch of AG1 goes through a rigorous testing process, so you know it's safe. And AG1 ingredients are sourced for absorption, potency, and nutrient density. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to have them as a long-term. Partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag onecom noise. That's drinkag1.com noise. Check it out. Okay. So would it also be considered, I'm trying to think of like people's everyday lives and thinking about my life. So I have a rosary that was my great-grandmother's on my father's side um, and it's hanging in my office. Mm -hmm. And I also have a plate that was glued back together. It must have been dropped and was broken. That was my mother's mother. And she died 12 years before I was even born. I never got to meet her. And I, and my mom was like, why do you want this Want this plate? It's it's broken and been glued back together. And I'm like, I don't have anything of hers. Like, I we have there's one photograph of her, so I I like to have it. The way I look at it is, it's not just like an item. Like I look at it as having this in my home, where I'm raising my own children, where I'm taking care of of my family as my grandmothers did before me. It's a way to honor them, even though I never met these women. Mm-hmm. So, is that kind of what you're talking about? Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Okay. When we're talking about folk magic, we are definitely, you know, humans of all cultures assign significance and meaning. We're mm-hmm. meaning-making we love animals, to right? meaning making animals, right? We love it. Exactly. <laughs> and so the layer that we're adding with magic is perhaps we can influence this meaning that we're making. Perhaps we can, um, use it to benefit us or protect our family or keep us healthy or stay in good contact with our angelic ancestors who might be helping us so so the magic is that you believe that you are still in relationship somehow with this ancestor through this artifact and of course you are of course you are and of course that carries a certain kind of charge and a certain kind of meaning, which is slightly different from pictures of them mm-hmm. or stories about them. You know, m- magical objects are one of the ways that it's I think the most easy and accessible way to um, bring alive the magic of every day and Food and then, of course, you know times of year and, and celebrations and things like that. But yeah, it's the it's the spiritual significance we assign where the magic comes from. Okay, know? okay. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure i was doing it right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. That's what's so great about folk magic. There is no wrong way to do it. And as Sophie Macklin, who's a, a colleague and teacher of mine, um, she was the first reader of my book. She says, like, there is no pristine prior tradition. So if you're thinking, oh, you know what? what was the magic of my lineage and you don't know maybe because you're no one ever told you in your right. family or you were uh immigrants or you uh, were adopted or something like that it really doesn't matter the thing that makes it folk is that it's like of the people and of the land and it it emerges from that time and place. So there isn't some pristine prior tradition where it's like, oh yes, I had a witch in my lineage. It's like, well, Mm -hmm. everybody's like a little bit, you know, some people grow massive vegetables. Other people can sing really beautifully. Some people can, you know, uh, are great at bird calling and bird language. Like these are all different forms that folk magic, if you were to add the layer of recognizing the participatory nature of the universe. Mm -hmm. Now it's just gone from like a tradition to magic. Maybe that's why I'm so good at
1: growing plants. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) Yes. It's so funny because I used to not be good. And I used to say I had a black thumb and then I realized the trick and people laugh so hard when they come to my house and they ask me, I've actually cut down and given a lot of weight because it's just so much work. They've asked me like, how do you do it? And I said, you just have to give a shit. Like you yeah. have to. And luckily we have the internet and you can find out like what the best soil is for, for this kind of plant and what kind of light and how much water. And I have plants. I have a fiddle fig that is so big and people are like, <laughs> Oh my God, there's so, there's such divas. They're so hard to grow. And I'm like, I cannot get it to stop growing. It's gigantic. <laughs> Same with a ZZ plant. It's, I had to split it in two and it's just, Maybe there's something to this like I yes, it is it's attunement that's so much of what
0: magic is about right it's attunement and having a relationship with the greater than human is like a courtship right so you are courting the divine through your plants, just attuning, mm-hmm. paying attention, sort of like, how would I woo them? How would I give them what they need? And, and like, how good does it feel to see them thriving? Right? Yep. So you're in this reciprocal relationship with the other than human. It's not just extractive. It isn't just cast this spell or grow this thing for prosperity and abundance. That can be part of it for sure. But that only flows from your, your reciprocal relationship with the other than human and that you have courted them. And you are, you're like, how could I charm them? How yeah. could I show them that I love them? How can yeah. I
1: delight them? I use my intuition to water them as well. Perfect. Yeah. I know that sounds... Totally <laughs> not. Oh my gosh. Obvious. I use my like- pendulum <laughs> to
0: decide where I'm going to put plants in my garden. Oh, 100%. wow. 100%. Okay, oh yeah, 100 so I see
1: that as very woo-woo, but like using my intuition to know when to water a plant. And, and again, sometimes it's obvious, like you can tell by the way the leaves right. look, but sometimes... I'll walk by it and I'll just be like, this one needs to be watered. And I don't even yeah, have to stick my finger in it, it or anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just just no. in a relationship. So <laughs> I never looked at it that way, but thank you. What is a wilderness quest guide? Oh, great question. So I
0: trained two different kinds of training. So one was I went out on a quest, which is where you go out into nature as minimally as possible. So I went out with a tarp, a sleeping bag, and some water and just fasted for four days. And that oh was with a guide. Yeah. I did that in Death Valley. I've done that a couple of times. And then like here in BC, where I'm from, I'm from I've gone several times. And so then eventually I was like, I got the message of like you should be taking people out to do their fast. And um so I apprenticed with my quest guide who had taken us out. And he was, you know, teaching uh, to a certain degree, like how to keep people safe, fasting mm-hmm. in the solo yeah. in the wilderness for four days. That was certainly part of it, but mostly it was about the spiritual initiation of leaving your known reality and going out fairly naked and um, embedding yourself in nature. And I think that's a really important developmental task for those of us who like growing up in the Western world in the modern day. I think any kind of healing, um, really requires this developmental piece. Like if you can't go out into nature and embed yourself and learn how to feel safe and, and part of the ecosystem, the family of things, as Mary Oliver put it, I think any other kind of healing Mm -hmm. is, um, is happening on, on a bit of a shaky foundation, The second kind of uh, training I then did, though, is I wanted to be able to lead quests in my home bio region, British Columbia, which has actually many different bio regions. But I grew up as like a sea and mountain kind of person. And so then I went out to the mountains uh, to um, a guide outfitter who leads um, hunting trips and nature photography trips and all those kinds of things. And one of the things they offered was um, training to become an outback guide on pack horses. And so that was interesting because it was not spiritual at all. And I was trying to explain to them what I was doing. And the guy was like, well, what do you mean spiritual laws? The law of nature is life or death. And I right. was like, like well, do that's you know how to like a horse? Like, <laughs> well,
2: that was exactly that was day
0: one, actually. Within half an hour, we were we I don't were, even know if that's um, a shoeing oh, a horse, shoeing okay. a shooing horse, shoeing a horse, Okay, yeah, yeah. Thank you. and learning how to you know pack them and ride them for eight hours, nine hours, and then cook meals for the guests and that kind of stuff. So, I had these like two kind of very different trainings, and I integrated them into one. But of course, the piece that was missing, uh, for me, because a lot of the way that um, quests have been relayed in Western culture is through the idea of the monomyth and like, Hey, I love Joseph Campbell hero's journey, very, you know, transformative and and influential for me as an adolescent. But as you mature, you're like, Hey, what about the non, you know, cis white heroic male (laughs) kind of people? Like, I don't, that's not, so the piece that was really missing for me was community and witnessing. Mm-hmm. And um kind of recognizing like nobody can go out on a fucking hero's quest without somebody holding it down at home or somebody we, without like some resources and support. Yeah, yeah. Without support. <laughs> so the way that I do it is like people have quite a we spend a year together. Um, And so, yes, people go out for like 12 days and it's four days of teaching, four days of solo on the mountain, four days of uh, incorporation when you get back. But then we continue for a year and the question every season is, so how is your quest unfolding now? And help people go back because it's, you know, the, the biggest challenge when you have a spiritually transformative Uh, experience, a numinous experience in your life is going back to the world changed when nothing and no one else has changed. And the the feeling of alienation that can come up, like how do you hold the vision that you received? How do you hold the spiritual um, maturation that you did when other people are not Enjoying that you yeah. have we like, call that reentry. Yeah, re-entry. <laughs> that's exactly what it is. We just call it the return. And it's like that's really challenging. And so you do need to have a community that can remember your story, hold your hold your vision okay. for you. Um when you forget, because you you know, you come off those experiences having this. Um, very profound sense of remembering the radiance of who you really are and what you're meant to contribute. Yeah, it sounds like a spiritual experience. It's 100% a spiritual experience. Even the the folks who have come who they have been a little more like I'm going to go out and conquer nature. I'm going to prove that I can survive. You that's, know, like kind that of sounds thought, very that's American.
1: <laughs> well, yeah,
0: there's, you know that that's that's kind of like an archetype that shows yeah. up, and we dispel that pretty quickly. That this is very much about becoming um, your ecosystemic self, the ecological self, the self that's woven into all things and um, is in relationship with all things. And so we, you don't just go and then like. Leave and take off. We, it's like nope. Now we're going to keep co-regulating. We're going to keep, yeah. you know, witnessing each other and and stay in relationship so that we can support change at a communal level. We mm-hmm. the quest isn't for you. The quest is for your people. And so okay. if you go back home and you're changed and they're not acknowledging it, you need support to help bring your quest to your people if they're not receiving it.
1: Um, do you, and you like do you forceful, run these anymore? Bit.
0: Yeah, actually, uh, I didn't for COVID. I had to cancel one, but um, Mm -hmm. the next one is going to be spring 2023, and very soon I'll be putting up an application process. Um, But ideally, people would have uh, gotten some of the teachings already. I have them, like, we've been doing them during COVID online in my numinous network. Okay. So there's, like, a whole course that you could take to learn all about. Um, We work through- Like introductory. Yeah. We work through mm-hmm. human development through the four seasons model. So it's okay. like you would learn about what's the spiritual developmental task for summer, fall, winter, mm-hmm. spring. You, and then you it, then it'll be more like a refresher when you go out. So yeah, yeah. hopefully there'll be six to eight people who will come and um, go on quest with me on the horses and take us up to a beautiful spot in
1: that the Caribou Chilcolton. Mm-hmm. And I've been—I haven't been to BC since I was nine, but I do remember being just stunned at how beautiful it was, even at such a young age. Oh, it's yeah, so out there, and the way the the kind of route that you have to take because there's like quite a lot of driving.
0: Like we, I have to—we really um, help you, you know. We connect you with your cohort so you can get up there because it's you're driving out to the middle. No, you know, it's 45 minutes. The last little bit of it is like 45 minutes down a dirt road. So it it it. Takes a while to get there and you go through like five different, you go from like maritime, like the sea to the desert grasslands to the alpine glaciers, <laughs> like it's you know, it, all in like one 10 hour trip. <laughs>
1: exactly. That's exactly <laughs>
0: what it's like in one day. It's very cool.
1: It sounds a little bit, um, but this is on a much smaller scale and different. My friend Nicole, she actually was on my podcast and she talked about it. She does those ultra marathons or like the hundred mile races. Is like out in the wilderness. But when she talks about them, she can like almost talk anyone into like doing one with her. Like she, <laughs> she talks about it like it's a spiritual experience and like the things that you go through to get through it, and and she never looks at it like as she wants to win. For her, it's, it's the experience of doing it, and and being with nature, and and really being with your body. And listen. it just is incredible. And shake like, loses a toenail like every time she does one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all part some of the initiations
0: process. are like that, right? Mm-hmm. And every rite of passage is a sacred and spiritual experience, even yeah. if that's not someone's language. Even you know, th- but they all are about sort of the the miracle and wonder of, of humans going through, like playing out our human drama. It's really, it's, it's so poignant and I love poignance myself. So like, I can see where she's coming from, that it's like absolutely exhilarating, even though it's also the most challenging thing you've ever done. And that Mm -hmm. kind of pain beauty, it's just like, Oh my God, I'm going through the hardest thing. Why did I do this to myself? And like, you can feel sorry for yourself. And then all of a sudden you have this, like, Absolutely sacred encounter with like a fly or something that like comes volunteer on the trail. Like that's who she talks about is like these
1: people who just like she 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 talks about them like they saved her life. You know, (laughs) like they're just these strangers that volunteer. You know, forty eight hours of their time for sure. I'm
0: sure it restores your um, faith. You know, in humanity, and that's what we're all trying to do. Like having encounters with the numinous, if we can like go to the autonomic nervous system for a second, when we think about like the vagus nerve and our social engagement nervous system, experiences of awe have this very interesting effect on our nervous system that's different from love, that's different from friendship. When we experience awe, it triggers our social engagement nervous system and the sense of being enfolded into something greater than ourselves. And that stimulates pro-social behavior. In other words, it's like, oh my gosh, (laughs) you know, the universe is so big and miraculous and I'm so small and I want to collaborate with it. Mm -hmm. And I don't expect anything in return which is different than say, you know, love or friendship, you know, most relationships have a reciprocity challenge where it's like, oh, I'm willing to give and give and give to a certain point, And then I want to receive back. But when we experience awe, when we experience encounters with the sacred, we feel enveloped and enfolded and we want to collaborate and we don't expect to get what we want. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's not what it's about. It's like, we feel belonging in that mm-hmm. participatory universe. So that is that's exactly what quest brings out. It's like, it's just, it's a feeling like male leather. It's, it's so much more than personal accomplishment. It's the experience over and over again of transcendence when you're like, oh my God, the sun. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, this tree. Oh my God, those
1: birds. The dew on the ground in the morning. Exactly, yeah, it's when it's absolutely been so exhilarating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so fascinating. I could listen to you talk about that all day. Um, okay. Okay. <laughs> I want to slightly shift gears and I, and let's talk about intuition for a moment and how can the people listening develop their intuition from what you call a, a trauma-informed attachment perspective. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm assuming you didn't come up with that term, but just, I know that that's very important in the, in the work that you do. Absolutely.
0: Well, one of the things I, so when we talk about trauma-informed, mm-hmm. what it's really important there is we recognize we have choice, we have agency, we have voice. So we're never pushing through signs of distress. So if there was ever a situation, let's say this is actually, this just came up in the network. Somebody was asking a question at one of my AMAs, may ask me anything things, the numinous tutorial. She was like, you know, I had a really scary experience with tarot what would be your suggestion for like, should I get back into it since it seems like such a foundational skill or, you know, how could I get over this bad experience I had? And I was like, you know, thinking, you know, the thing is from a trauma-informed perspective, why do you need to? (laughs) You don't have to get over it. There is like nothing so fundamental in your spiritual or intuitive development that you should be pushing through that signal within you. That's like, I'm actually not track and safeness right now. I'm feeling a lot of stress. That's like absolutely unnecessary. So any kind of modality where you feel like you have to know it, or you are, you know, not up to snuff is um, that's bunk. So from a trauma-informed perspective, we are learning how to land a sense of safeness in our bodies. And the thing about the attachment orientation and the somatic orientation with intuition is that Whatever your attachment style is in your human relationships, it's going to show up in your Mm -hmm. relationship with spirit. Mm -hmm. Maybe not necessarily the same. What we know about attachment styles is they're not fixed, right? They can change over time and it really depends on the relationship and the power and rank and privilege and all of that. But generally, we'll all have a bit of a set point, maybe a bit more anxious or a bit
1: more avoidant. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need (laughs) Shopify for retail. With Shopify POS, you can accept credit cards, mobile payments, and every other major payment method, all with low fees and transparent pricing, starting on day one. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com noise, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com noise to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com noise. Bills and other things to pay for don't just come bi-weekly and neither should your paycheck. The money you earn can be in your hands today with EARNIN. EARNIN is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Just download the EARNIN app and verify your paycheck. Then access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. You can use Earnin for unexpected doctor visits, vet bills, or even extra self-help books. Make Earnin a part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, "When I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability, security. It gives me a lot of peace of mind." Download Earnin today, spelled E A R N I N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type in noise under podcast when you sign up. It's really helpful to the show. Noise under podcast. Subject to your available earnings, location, daily max, and pay period max. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. I'm going to stop you for a second because I, I'm i pretty sure my audience knows that. And I did have some, I've had a couple of therapists on who've talked about attachment styles, but just like quick rundown, the attachment yeah. styles are anxious attachment, avoidant attachment. Isn't there um, secure and then combination? Yeah, exactly. The combination okay. would be called disorganized where you're running bit a bit, a bit mm-hmm. anxious and a bit yeah. avoidant
0: kind of at the same time. That's exactly okay. right. And Please so mm-hmm. each of those have a particular um, somatic or like body-based experience, you know, to be more avoidant, your nervous system is shaped in a certain kind of way. And if you're anxious, it's shaped a bit differently and that shows up in your relationship with spirit. So when I'm working with, uh, intuition, I'm, Asking people to first start close in where it's very easy. So we start with allies in the unseen that we would call competent protectors. And so those can be ancestors. But if you're like, yeah, no, I come from a long line of abusers, like, great. We don't work with that then. We look for who can you work with in the spirit realm who would be both very strong and competent, but also very nurturing and protective. And so a lot of people, if they're like, I. Never had that experience in my life. I don't know what it feels like to be able to rest in safeness and well being. Then I'm like, great, let's work with these rocks, let's work mm-hmm. with this plant medicine, let's work with these animals. Um, we just keep going until we can find like what is the safe sphere, and then we start from there. We there's no dogma here, so um. That's what I bring into how I help people develop their intuition is first we go, where's your safest realm and what things naturally are you drawn to? And we work with that. And everybody has a different type. You know, some people are more clairaudient like myself. Mm-hmm. Intuition okay. comes to me, yeah, through mm-hmm. like words and hearing and music and literature and books and things like that. Some people are more claircognizant. They just kind of know. So maybe they work with Oracle cards and they only look at them for half a second and then they don't have to look at the book. They know exactly what's coming through. Maybe some people are um, more clairvoyant and they love working with Oracle decks and they, they love huge spreads and, and that kind of stuff. So we're working with like what is within the zone of comfort and competence and self-efficacy for your nervous system and what are the the tools
1: and the pathways that, that would
0: make you feel more confident to explore. I
1: love that so much, Carmen. Like I think that's one of the favorite things I have heard in a long time. My favorite things I've heard in a long time because and I wrote about um I, and I write about intuition. I think I've written it at least touched on it in all three of my books. But in my last book, I talked about how it's it can be challenging for many women, especially because it gets conditioned out of us, you mm-hmm. know, and um, and especially people who come from uh Ch- uh, challenging childhoods where mm-hmm. maybe nobody talked about anything, and I mean mm-hmm. that was the case for me. I can speak from my own personal experience, and it wasn't, um, it wasn't abusive when I was a child, but nobody talked about anything difficult. So like mm-hmm. when a very close family friend uh, took her own life, and I saw my parents crying about it, but it was like tight lipped. Nobody talked mm-hmm. about it. So I, while I was walking around like okay, I know something happened. It was pretty Mm -hmm. obvious, but like, no one's going to talk about it. So it's like those small things that can happen to us over time. We sort of, the way I describe it is like, we kind of from a a cerebral level think we're just constantly questioning ourselves and Mm -hmm. our, our own, our own gut feelings and instincts. And so I love that you start from such a, um, Like a primitive level that sounds Mm -hmm. necessary.
0: Well, and of course, capitalist imperialist white supremacist patriarchy Mm -hmm. is constantly conditioning us to push through our own signs of distress and um, trying to obscure our preferences, trying to make us think that our preferences are actually what they want us to do. Right. That's Mm -hmm. what advertising is. That's what like, Mm -hmm. so you know, it's, it's like high pressure tactics everywhere you look conform, you know, stay in this box, be this role, this identity. And so any, inner voice you might have that's like, "Mm, I don't know if that's for me, you know, we get conditioned to push through that in order to either succeed or to at least to survive. Capitalism is doing it to us constantly. So, when I'm teaching folks, whether we're actually looking at um, intuition Or whether we're looking at um, working with the autonomic nervous system, if you have an immune disorder or long COVID, or if you have developmental stuff from childhood, we're constantly helping people attune to their own preferences. That's one of the ways we unhook from that conditioning is to be like, what do I actually want Mm -hmm. here? And actually that can take a long time to remember, you know, it really can.
1: It takes some practice. I'm sure it's not just, you know, like I can answer that right away.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, totally. Even an exercise, like we do this simple exercise of like pushing away just your arms in the air and just like repeating, I can say no to what I want to say no to. Sometimes that brings up a ton of emotion for people. Yeah. Sometimes it's the opposite one. Like I can feel chills a little bit thinking of people who are like, whoa, slowing it down and pushing away and just saying that Mm -hmm. to myself is it's such an empowering moment. For others, it's the scooping in and embracing gesture and saying, I can say yes to what I want to say yes to and having their hands land on their heart. What if it's, I want to say yes to me? Those things create a somatic chain of events in which you start to see greater possibility, and when you can see that greater possibility for yourself, spirit will come through and give you little nudges and be like, "Yes, yes, yes, you're doing it!" Oh my gosh, mm-hmm. your ancestors are like, "Oh my gosh, I'm so happy for you!" I've had that so experience proud of you, yeah. right? And then if you can st- tolerate be receiving that kind of love and just stay with it. You know, even if it's just for a minute or two, you can have a neuroplastic event around that and recruit Mm -hmm. that feeling as a resource later. And like, what's, that's one of the definitions of magic, right? Being able to change consciousness, at will. So, if you can be in a different consciousness for a couple minutes and have your your brain actually shift (laughs) and, and shape onto that, that's pretty magical.
1: Oh my gosh. It's so interesting. I, I thought of something when you said that, because in my experience, when I was practicing and, and intentionally making space and time for, you know, folk mag and magic or whatever you want to call it, I got afraid of how fast it was happening. Mm-hmm. And I had a mentor tell me, and she was very gentle about it. And she said, my hunch is that you are afraid of your own power. And I said, and I think you are right because it was happening so fast and it was so big and I, and it was obviously bigger than me. Mm-hmm. And being someone who struggles with control. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I can't control this and it scares me. Oh, so for I sure. pulled I mean, way that's back. What
0: the numinous, is, right? The numinous tremendum at fascinants, right? Things that are like awe-inspiring and sacred also have the a very similar somatic imprint is things that are terrifying. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. in somatics, we'd say like rapid embodiment is actually not helpful. It needs to be the trauma-informed piece is like, yeah, don't, don't try to take, swallow the sun, right? It's like, you go, okay, whoa, thanks. That's actually a little bit more than my physical body can handle right now. And so then we have that agency to be like, Hey, thanks spirit. Or thanks guides. Can we just slow it down? Like you've got it at 11. Can you turn it down to a four Mm -hmm. and see if I can just get used to it? and so that's the agency that we bring in so that we're in that reciprocal relationship. And, and yeah, you don't get afraid that you're going to be swallowed up or like something too big is going to yeah. happen. We want it to happen at the pace that your human body can integrate. You know? Okay.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I felt like a tsunami a bit. <laughs> well, I, I have so many, uh, well, not so many, but like a handful more that I want to ask you, but I want to be respectful of everyone's time. And, and the book is called The Spirited Kitchen, Recipes and rituals for the for the wheel of the year, and I just have one more question that hopefully isn't like a big a big whopper. What was your favorite part about writing the book?
0: To be honest, I think my favorite part about writing this book was the collaboration I had with my photographer, my dear friend Stephanie Ray Hull. I'd never worked that creatively with another person before Mm, where we did like 30 photo shoots in 12 months. And, um, we were both learning how to do this. Like we were like, ah, how do we, you know, like foods and it was the recipes, right? Recipes is all those things. And it seems so easy, but I've heard it's really not. No, it it really. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It's so much planning and coordination. It just like took over my life for a long time. The thing is I had the The book in my head, like I, and I'd been doing wheel of the year workshops for a couple of years. So I had the recipes. I knew exactly how this was going to come together. I'm a huge fan of Martha Stewart since like way back in the nineties. So I was like Martha Stewart entertaining from like 1987, that book, like I knew exactly how I wanted my book to be, but the execution of it, um, was super challenging. Fortunately, I had this collaborator whose style and taste and eye and attention to detail and faith in me was was just unwavering and so steady. And there's this like really great quote from Ira Glass where he talks about as a creator, there's this period where your skill is not as awesome as your taste. Mm-hmm. So it's like, this is my first time making a, a cookbook. And so I needed to just kind of recognize, like, I just got to make work. I just got it. Yeah. I got to do the first one and it's not going to be as good as I would want it to be. It's not going to meet my vision, but I got to get the work out. And Ira Glass was like, you know, you just got to keep producing more work and, and get enough practice until one day your skill matches your ambition. And mm-hmm. that killer taste finally matches your Doesn't you he know, your say ability. like, you have to just keep creating crap? Yes. Got to keep creating. <laughs> yeah. Just like, I don't know if he says crap, but he's like, I you're not going to like, like it, but you yeah. still have that killer taste. And so you've got to keep creating. And so the, I think, you know, from a personal, um, perspective, the best part of it was, um, from like this character building perspective is like letting go of perfectionism, not letting. um you know, great, be the enemy of good or whatever it is.
1: And
2: just Stop like comparing yourself I'm to Martha Stewart. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just
0: got to get the first one out there. And hopefully like the third one is going to be as good as I want it to be. Um, so like character building, that was probably the best part for me in the long run. But in the short term, it was definitely collaborating with a, a kindred spirit.
1: I love, well, it's beautiful. Like it, it truly Thank is. You. And the, the link is in the show notes. Again, it's the Spirited Kitchen recipes and rituals for the wheel of the year. For the wheel of the art. Yes, I said it right. But is there anything else that you wanted to say that we missed that you wanted to circle back to before we complete?
0: The book is available on October 31st. And of course, I want to- Was that see on purpose?
1: People... Or is it, it's, you there, know what? It a no, that was
0: the original, uh, the original date was a couple of weeks prior. And it was like actually a better date astrologically for me. Because of course <laughs> I plan all this stuff out. Uh, it, instead of the just supply chain issues and all of that, it got pushed back. And I think October 31st is like the second best perfect day for it to come out. But really, I just want to see what people make and do. I, I am such a looky-loo when it comes to other people's altars and other people's kitchens and things like that. So I hope if people get the book and they try anything, um, or they just really like it, they'll tag me on Instagram because, um, really is like the it's, it's, the thrill of my lifetime to have created this.
1: Uh, That's amazing. Thank you so much for for being here. And all of those links will be in the show notes, everyone. I have followed Carmen on Instagram for probably seven years now. And I think you all absolutely should. Thank you for your time, Carmen and everyone listening. You know how grateful I am for your time that you choose to spend it with my guests um, and myself. And remember, it's our life's journey to make ourselves better humans and our life's responsibility to make the world a better place. Bye for now.